You're listening to Titken Podcast. Hi, I'm Louise, and you're listening to the Titgen Traveler, a short, lively, personal, and easy to listen to travel guide aiming at helping the Titgen residents who are planning to travel to go on an exchange or maybe make them want to do so. The idea of this Titgen podcast came to me because when I travel or live somewhere, I'm always looking for nice places and experiences of the billion tracks that locals would recommend in order to get the most out of it. When I realized that the exchange students here at Tilgen were coming from all over the world, I thought, why not ask them to talk about where they come from, what they love about it and share with us some advices. What museums to visit, where to go shopping, where to go out, where and what to eat. Those are some of the crucial questions that are going to be answered in this podcast. Today we are with Max from London, who will help you find a way around this vibrant, electric and diverse megacity. I'm Max Isaac, I live in 186 and I'm originally from London and I moved to Copenhagen in August to start my masters uh, in biology so uh, yeah that's been an experience. The weather's not much different to London <laughs> um, which is I guess fine. <laughs> uh, they've actually had more snow than Scandinavia, well than Copenhagen which has been super frustrating. I think that in London a lot of it is determined by the weather. I think that's why I would recommend going in mid to late spring, so sort of April through to June or um September, October is really nice. I mean, August is surprisingly nice because everyone goes on holiday so it gets a lot quieter. So if you've only got time to go in the summer, then I would say going the middle of August probably is your best bet to avoid total chaos. <laughs> I think moving to Copenhagen I didn't really realize like how small capital cities can be. Um so describing somewhere in London you're just like uh you're just like yeah you have to get the tube from here to here and then and then you, a lot of tourists that I've met say can't I just walk it and I'm like you could but it could take you two hours. <laughs> um and no one cycles there as well uh, or people do but they die. <laughs> um, they have a bicycle rental scheme if you're a tour- uh, which tourists use which would be the last thing on earth I'd recommend because they look terrifying and the bikes are really heavy and I just don't know why you would do that. Um <laughs> they are trying to make it better though. How to get around? Well, like I've said the bikes are a death death trap. Um <laughs> but the the tube is actually really good. Uh it gets a lot of sort of bad press and there are times where it is really sweaty and if you go in the middle of summer and you're going a rush hour it's just not going to be very nice. <laughs> Um that said though it like when it works which is most of the time it's really good. Getting an Oyster card is really good if you're there for a week. Uh you can get them in any of the machines and tube stations. They just make them there much like you to get with a Risercore. Um and that definitely saves you a lot of money. Uh it's a lot cheaper than buying travel cards now because they've frozen the fares. Uh so yeah that's a boringly practical point for you. <laughs> and they are opening like new tube lines and things like that and in on some of the lines it now runs all night so that's actually really good because before you used to have to get the night bus which 
was actually really good fun. <laughs> it's kind of like a social scene, really. Like, you meet people and you're sort of having full-on conversations with absolute strangers while you're really, really, really drunk. Um, and I really like it, but also, as a tourist, maybe it's not the safest thing to do. Um, no. Uh, also, overland trains, so the trains that aren't the tube, uh, are, can be really confusing if you're not a tourist because they have different terminuses and things like that. Um, and they're also just really bad. They run really late and stuff. So avoid overland trains if you can. Generally, you don't have to get them unless you're going really far into the suburbs or out of London entirely. Um, so I think, yeah, that's, that's, that's about all the transport we have. Buses are all right. Really boring. Um, <laughs> um, anyway, so the first thing really was... Uh, describing London I guess to someone who's never been there and it's kind of hard because in my mind I sort of think of it as sort of gritty and sort of like other people say it's dirty which it is <laughs> but I kind of like that I'm like yeah it's just grunge that's like <laughs> the vibe of it um but I'd say it's surprisingly beautiful as well um I think that people have this idea of London as sort of a lot of it was bombed in the war and a lot of it is tower blocks and stuff and there are parts of it that are like that but even the stuff built since the war i think is interesting uh it's not beautiful in the same way copenhagen is like it's not sort of all really old and like looks beautiful on crisp mornings but it's sort of like so much of it is really iconic <laughs> that i think that has a certain kind of beauty so a film i would say you could watch uh to describe it would be hmm i don't know whether it necessarily is portrayed very well in films when i think of london on film i think of like the golden era of rom-coms like bridget jones and like notting hill which are really cliche um and i don't think it necessarily sums up the feel of london but i think it visually does it quite quite well um skyfall makes it look really beautiful um but again very gray <laughs> um what else did i I'd say musically, the things I associate with it are like early noughties kind of um, uh, alternative music. So like um, bands like uh, the Baby Shambles and sort of Pete Doherty. I think that's more because that, when, that was when I started to explore London more when I was a teenager. So it's inextricably linked to that for me. <laughs> um, and sort of Amy Winehouse as well. Like there was a really big Camden music scene. Mm. Um, so that's what I think of. And I think that a lot of it describes the sort of more street side of London better. <laughs> One thing I've never done, which I would like to do is go to the, some of the festivals they have in, uh, in the summer. So there's one that they have on, I think, Clapham Common called Lovebox Festival. Um, and they get quite big acts at those and they're usually daytime so you can if you manage to plan it you can sort of go to one of those and then do the more touristy stuff like over the rest of the week um, so I'd really like to do that one day um, one touristy thing that I absolutely hate about London is uh, Piccadilly Circus it says nothing about it's just these like large screens selling you Coca-Cola and Samsung products and I'm like neither of these things are from the UK I don't know why it's a tourist landmark but that's like so frustrating <laughs> i think every city maybe has that to a degree though <laughs> um so touristy places that are worth visiting i'd say most of the museums are so uh the british museum is 
really good. Um, I mean, it's sort of like a monument to stuff we stole, uh, which <laughs> it's like, at least it's all in one place is the only argument I can really make for that. But um, it, it is really well curated and really interesting. Um, also, the National Gallery, uh, it's sort of you walk in and it's like, oh, there's a Picasso and then there's a George Stubbs. Like, it's shockingly uh, well represented. <laughs> um, and I'd say also going to Covent Garden is worth doing as well because uh, there's quite a few street performers and things like that, which if that's your thing, it's fine. But I think generally just walking around there can be really nice. It's, uh, it used to be an old market, so it's got uh, these... They've changed it into like these sort of arcades of boutique shops and things like that. Uh, so it's worth going to. It is quite touristy, so you have to take that into consideration, but I would still suggest it. I've never been to the Crown Jewels, which I think would be kind of interesting, but that's because I'm basically a magpie and I like shiny things. Um, <laughs> the um, I have never been to um, I've never been to the Tower of London either, um, which uh, I've heard is quite interesting because it used to be a palace and then it was a prison, and uh, so many people have been killed there. Um, and one thing I actually did not long ago was go to St. Paul's Cathedral, which is actually really good. I did I went to it because I realised that I was living in London and I hadn't done a lot of the really touristy things. Um, and it was, it was actually really nice. Like, the view from the top, I would say, is one of the best in London. And it's kind of more different. Like, if you go to the London Eye, you're trapped in it and you're going around really slowly and you have to queue for hours. Whether I think going up St. Paul's is a bit more of a personal experience and... Uh, it's cold <laughs> so if you do it in summer that would be better um, but I would definitely suggest that and it's kind of beautiful in a simple way it's not like a catholic church it's much more sort of stripped back um, and absolutely massive as well they have like a whisper gallery where you whisper along yeah. the wall and you can hear it the other side that's quite cool um, so that would probably be something I'd suggest doing not on a weekend so that you can actually try that out um my favourite museums, like, obviously all the big ones are really worth going to. I'd say that the Victoria and Albert Museum, or the V&A, is it's kind of a bit underrated, I think, and I don't think that it deserves that at all. It was built at the same time as the Natural History Museum, with the same uh, money, and um, it people are always a bit dismissive of it. They sort of say, oh, well, it's for costumes and uh, sort of other, like, craft artefacts, but... I think that it's interesting in the sheer diversity of stuff there is, and the building's really beautiful as well, so... I think that the effort they put in is much more yeah. than the big museums because they don't have to sort of rest on their laurels. Um, and I, that was one thing I was going to say about museums in London, is that before you go, I'd say one thing that is really worth doing is checking what exhibitions they have, because the museums in London are so internationally renowned that the exhibitions they put on, they can pull in a lot of stuff that you would have to go to 10 different cities to see. So I would always suggest looking into that. And to be honest, like they're normally, then they're, they're not cheap to go to, but it's worth doing for the um, things you see. So I think it's normally about 15 pounds. Well, most of the main museums are free yeah. to get into, but the exhibitions you usually yeah. have to pay. Um, but that, that said, sometimes there are free ones and they do a lot of museum late so you can go in the evening sometimes. Mm -hmm. So it's it's a bit of effort to look into, but I'd definitely say it was worth it. Um, also, my one of my other favourite museums is the Tate. So 
this always confuses tourists because in London there's the Tate Modern, which is the one in the massive power station, um, and that's full of modern art. And then there's the Tate, which is up the river and on the other side, sort of more close to the Houses of Parliament. And that's just their sort of collection of stuff from uh, way, way back to early modern. And that's I, I'd say that's worth going to because it's slightly off the beaten track and um, they have some really, really beautiful art in there. And uh, it's a really nice building as well. And they they just changed the basement and things like that. So I definitely suggest that. It's nice as well because you can walk along the river to get to it. So it's a nice sort of combination thing. <laughs> Um, so I see I'm I'm a bit of a nerd so I always like going to some kind of exhibition or something um, one of the nicest days I've ever spent in London it was after my friend's birthday and we were we were pretty hungover um, which kind of makes me more relaxed generally <laughs> um, and uh, we we uh, got the we got the train into Kensington and um, then we went to the science museum which is quite un uh, that's quite underrated as well. Uh, if you're going maybe with um, if you're going with a, your family or like someone with young kids, it's really good fun. It's a really good museum, and they have the best gift shop as well. Like it's yeah, so good. I've done it when I was little. Yeah, it's so good. I still yeah. love it now. Like yeah. honestly, I had to buy my dad like a yeah. sort of small Christmas gift. <laughs> I was just like going in there, like well, maybe I can get him this or like this thing that like looks like brains, and like yeah. <laughs> got so enthusiastic. Um, but yeah, so we went uh, we went to an exhibition there, and then uh, we wandered up to. Uh, it was a really nice summer day, and we wandered up to um, Kensington Gardens. And uh, every year in Hyde Park and Kensington Gardens, they build um, a pavilion called the Serpentine Pavilion. Because the Serpentine is the lake that runs through it, and each year they get a sort of world-renowned architect to build this temporary building. And so we sort of went there, and we looked at this one by. Uh, Bark Ingalls, the Danish designer. Um, I've been stalking this country so long. Um, <laughs> and um, yeah, then we just sort of wandered around. They had prototypes of other, the runners up of it. Um, and then we sort of sat in the park, had uh, a bite to eat, and uh, then just went home. But it was a really nice day. So, ah, so a building that they, for those who like architecture, I really like this question actually because. Uh, I'm a massive sort of nerd when it comes to stuff like that. So I'd say London is really well represented as far as different eras of architecture are concerned. Yeah. yeah, so there's some really cool stuff. There was um there's a really beautiful building that not many people know about near uh it's on the river um at Temple and Temple's easy to find because there's just a station called Temple, which sounds really ominous and sort of sacrificial, but it's not. Um, <laughs> and it's called Two Temple Place and uh it's just sort of as you come out it's on the right and it's this old sort of gothic building and um they have exhibitions there seasonally, I think from about January until Easter time. And um, the those are free as well. Um, but it's actually really cool because it lets you go into this house, which used to be owned by um, the Astor family, which were uh, like a really big sort of, uh, I think, merchant family. And they made a lot of money. And uh, this it's all sort of neo-Gothic and it's really wood paneled and all these stained glass windows. And it literally looks like something out of the film. <laughs> and actually, I've seen it on film so many times since I've been there <laughs> that um, it's kind of spooky where you're just like, ah, it's that again. <laughs> um, yeah, it's like film scouts don't really bother to go more than about four places. <laughs> uh, so I would definitely suggest that because it's kind of quite a hidden treasure as well. And um, 
if you're in that area as well afterwards there's sort of a sort of passage around the back which goes up to the courts of justice which again is architecturally really interesting and sort of there's lots of little sort of uh, courtyards and pathways there because it's part of the old city and um the on completely other scale the barbican um have you been there yes i think so yeah the barbican's really cool um it's this sort of um and it's this area in London which I presume was really badly damaged in the war because it's a huge site and it's um, this sort of brutalist um, housing and social centre where they it was the first kind of, well, it was one of the first points where they started trying to integrate um, sort of social activities and things into where people live in big developments. Before that, it was just, we'll build a block and people will live there. <laughs> um and so they, uh, it's really cool because there's a, most of it is above street level and there's lots of sort of, uh, sort of concrete, uh, pathways and like ponds and gardens. And in the middle of it, there is, uh, the Barbican Museum, uh, which is also really cool. And they put on really good exhibitions. So they had, uh, they had one on furniture, which Danes who love design would probably love. Um, and, uh, things like that. I mean, uh, it, it's really variable. It's quite a, quite a modern exhibition space uh but generally just wandering around is really nice especially in the summer because they've just redone the gardens so um and it's very sort of jagged and lots of concrete but it's it's still really interesting and if you know anything about modern architecture it's quite there's a lot of uh hidden secrets to it (laughs) um and the tate modern uh is really cool because it was an old power station and uh it's just really industrial and uh the turbine hall where they usually have a big art exhibit uh is a really awesome space it's hmm, how tall is that maybe yeah maybe uh, i'm so bad at meters i'm just like "Ah." (laughs) um yeah so that's definitely yeah definitely one of the one of the coolest ones um so you asked me to suggest an outdoor activity or something Mm -hmm. which i found quite difficult because for me like London is generally gross weather for most of the year, so people don't really want to be out in it for as much as possible. Um, I mean, in winter, there are some really nice ice rinks. So in Somerset House, which is um, basically this huge uh, building, again, on the on the River Thames, which is part of King's College University, and there's galleries and stuff in there. Um, they have an ice rink in the very central courtyard, um, which is really lovely. Uh, also where they hold a lot of fashion week as well so <laughs> year-round event um, but the uh, and they have one at Hampton Court Palace as well uh, which is a bit more in the suburbs but if you're really into history that's really cool because it's used in so many films and if you know anything about Henry VIII it's kind of cool to see where he got bored of his wives um, <laughs> um, and also there's a lot of outdoor swimming pools in uh, London uh, from like the 50s and stuff which uh, I think they're cool. They're a bit dated, but um, if if you're sort of visiting friends in London or something, and especially if they live like east or south, there's it's a nice way to spend an afternoon. Um, I can't think of anything really like thrill seeking. Like <laughs> it's not really a white knuckle kind of destination. Um, uh, well, also, like a lot of the parks are really nice. Just again for sort of outdoor time, um, which I guess is sort of seg- segues nicely into sort of places you can chill and read. Um, uh, I'd say that Kensington Gardens and Hyde Park are 
uh, really nice. That's really confusing in Satoris as well, actually, because they're essentially the same plot of land, but just about halfway through, they say, and now you're in Kensington Gardens. <laughs> um, it's kind of like going from Copenhagen to Malmo, I guess. Like, <laughs> and apparently this is different. Um, <laughs> and um, they, uh, so, but that's really nice, especially on a summer day. Um, and St. James's Park is really nice. So that's the park just behind Buckingham Palace. And it's the sort of area of land between Buckingham Palace and Trafalgar Square and um, sort of Downing Street. So there's a really gross road which goes up from the Houses of Parliament to Trafalgar Square. And it's busy and dirty and there's loads of tourist shops. But if you get, uh, if you uh, walk around the back of it, you're in St. James's Park and you can see all of the sights and more interesting views on stuff. Um, and it's a much nicer environment and they have pelicans which is pretty cool <laughs> um, although there is a really scary YouTube video of a pelican eating a whole pigeon alive which was like viral news in London for <laughs> for some reason but they were a gift from like some royal to another because apparently they're the only people that get birds <laughs> also the queen owns all swans so um, yeah be aware of that if you ever want to abuse a swan in the UK it could be a serious serious act of treason um <laughs> Hopefully no one listening to this wants to do that. Um, <laughs> uh, what else? Um, also, green spaces, again, like slightly out in, in the suburbs. Kew Gardens is really nice. Um, that's quite interesting as well because it's quite historical. So uh, there's um, an absolutely huge glass house called the Palm House, which is it's a bit like, it's a bit like the uh, Botanical Gardens here, but a much bigger scale. And there's, I think, three glass houses. And there's a pagoda as well, for some reason. Um, uh, because it was established in the Victorian time. So if you want a sort of chill day out, then going to Kew Gardens and then walking... Well, walking or getting the bus to Richmond is really nice because Richmond used to be a town outside of London which has slowly been swallowed. But there's... Um, it's sort of on a hill and you can get really good views over Richmond Park, which is a huge green space. Um so that's all definitely nice if you want a breather. What else? Um, yeah, I could just talk about parks the entire podcast. <laughs> yeah, Battersea Park is on the river. That's really nice. Um, and actually, talking of botanical gardens, there's a really hidden treasure. It's called um, the Chelsea Physic Garden. And it was originally um, a uh, sort of apothecary garden. It was uh, for uh, the growth of medicinal plants. And it sort of became a botanic garden. And it's on this absolutely sort of postage stamp sized plot in Chelsea, uh, right by the river, opposite Battersea Park. And uh, you do have to pay for entry, but um, there are sort of free tours and stuff where they can teach you about all of the medicinal plants. And it's really tranquil and really quiet. So definitely I'd say that that's something that most tourists probably wouldn't go out, out of their way to see, which I would recommend. Um, so, yeah. I think that um, walking, I, I always tend to end up, if I, like, whenever I used to go on dates in London, I'd always end up wandering up and down Embankment, which uh, I guess has some kind of, like, personal meaning to me, but I, it's just a really nice activity to do whatever. So um, I would, that's one thing I would say, a lot of the sites in London are really, really touristy. So if you go uh, to Westminster Bridge, which has the best view of uh, the Houses of Parliament, there there are so many tourists and i say that the slightly nicer experience is wandering along the south bank because you see pretty much everything but you 
aren't dodging people with selfie sticks and sort of batting away people trying to sell you fridge magnets and things like that. So, um, yeah, if you walk along South Bank opposite the Houses of Parliament, that will be the view that you see in a lot of films and sort of news broadcasts and things like that. Um, and I think that's a really lovely walk because you can go all the way up to uh, uh, the South Bank Centre, which is uh, a really interesting thing. And there's lots of, sort of uh, small food and drink places there. And then you can go to the Globe if you keep going on and to the Tate Modern and then uh, Borough Market. So it's a long walk, but it's nice. <laughs> is that where you can... Uh, cross the Millennium Yeah, the Millennium Bridge yeah. is just opposite the um, uh, the Tate Modern. Uh, wait, which one is which? So there, ah, yeah. So there's the Millennium Bridge, which is the one that is quite flat and it's destroyed by Death Eaters in Harry Potter, <laughs> which is, is it's it's cool. Uh, it's it's claim to fame. Um, the there's also a bridge called the Hungerford Bridge, which um, is. Uh, it's essentially the bridge that goes uh, from Waterloo to Charing Cross and there's a big rail bridge in the middle but then on either side there's this modern bridge which is made up of these white sort of spires that hold the bridge in place um, and that you can get some really nice views from there uh, my favourite bridge however because <laughs> I have ranked them in my head is uh, Waterloo Bridge um, which is a really wide bridge and it's a road bridge really flat so um, you get a view both up to the financial centre and St Paul's and then to the other side you get to see all the way to the Houses of Parliament and uh, the London Eye and things like that. So it's like, it's it's weird how much you can see just from one place there. Um, it is really windblown and if it's rainy then you'll like, it'll seem like the longest bridge on earth. <laughs> um, but other than that, um, that would definitely, if you want like a cliche view of London, especially at sunset, it's really nice. Um, and there's nothing getting in your way to sort of see everything. Favourite neighbourhood, yeah. <laughs> um, so I, I think that it's hard to pick because they're so different and this is one of the things that really distinguishes mega cities from just capital cities in that um the areas are much more distinct and they're much more spread spread out so for example in london you have chelsea which is very affluent lots of boutiques um and sort of just really full of rich people um and then on the uh, like the flip side you have places like brixton which are very sort of um very sort of down to earth, like large migrant communities, a lot of uh, sort of uh, markets and ethnic influence, which I is more the kind of vibe I prefer, to be honest. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I'd say Brixton was one of my one of my favorite neighborhoods. Um, and Soho is really cool as well. So that's really central. It's in the West End. Uh, and for years and years, it was a no-go area because it was like the sort of uh, basically the red light district of London. And um, so it kind of has still clung clung onto that identity a bit, which I think is quite interesting. It's um, so there are like sort of the odd sex shop and things like that. But um, it's kind of strange because it's this mixture of that and then really trendy restaurants and bars and clubs because essentially as well as the red light district used to be famously the gay district and so uh obviously because gays have great taste <laughs> they set up all the cool restaurants and bars and stuff and so now it's kind of this sort of uh really dynamic destination in london which i really like um 
also uh brick lane in east london is really cool uh so uh generally east london is very sort of young and hip um but brick lane is an area that runs from if you get the tube to a station called aldgate east it's a very short walk from there and um it's a road that runs up into um sort of Spitalfields, and it's full of uh sort of there's a lot of curry restaurants there so there's actually guys stood at, stood outside trying to get you to come in and have the, uh have all of the indian food and they're sort of like are trying to sell you it which is really fun and then uh if you go on i think it's fridays and saturdays they have um they have a lot of vintage markets and um there's a big uh old brewery where they used to um was it a brick factory i can't remember and they have a big uh sort of food market in there with stalls from around the world so they uh they had some ethiopian food there when i went once which was really cool um so i it's, it's nice because it's sort of if you go on a weekend there's a lot of stuff going on but you can choose how much of it you just decide to do so yeah brick lane definitely um where to go shopping so yeah. essentially london london is a really expensive city that is it's in my eyes it's greatest downside um so if you have the money there are some really really nice high-end sort of places to go so one of my favorites would be liberty which also is interesting from an architectural point of view because it was um like this old tudor building um that i think that originally they dismantled and then rebuilt and uh it's right near oxford circus so you uh you sort of come down from oxford circus and it's this beautiful old wooden building and um it's is good because although it's high end the brands that they have there are very diverse and it's not just it's not like harrods which is just here is gucci here is <laughs> moschino uh, it's not uh it's very it's much more fluid and uh you can find stuff that isn't financially crippling <laughs> and um the the perfume hall is particularly cool um and they have a really cool fabric section on the top where uh, you can buy all of their they're famous for sort of vintage uh like their vintage designs they were set up in like the 20s i think um so that's really interesting and they have like a beautiful central sort of atrium where you can look down into all of the other floors uh so that would be definitely one uh another expensive place is called the Conran shop so Jasper Conran was a really famous uh, British designer and he set up several shops which he then sold but this I think is still his um, under his uh, guidance but essentially it's a design shop but they have sort of a lot of other stuff as well so like really nice books and sort of uh, odd accessories and things like that Uh, I mean it's nice to just have a wander around even if you don't buy anything because it's very sort of uh, eclectic um, and it's interesting because the majority of it is in a modern building, but then it is connected to the building next door, which is a, um, I believe it's a, a restaurant slash an oyster bar. But the outside of that is a, a used to be the old Michelin building. So Michelin Tires, if you know them, <laughs> uh, they built this building in the 20s and it's sort of all glazed and has turrets and stuff. And it's this really nice sort of mid-century building. So it's cool to sort of see that as you're in the area. And um, because that's that's in Chelsea and it's kind of quite a nice walk if you go from, say, the area where the V&A and uh, Natural History Museum are. If you walk to uh, the Conran shop and then you can walk th- down through Chelsea 
and on a nice day that's quite an interesting walk you see a sort of it's not really a back group but it's more off the beaten track <laughs> um sort of more like affordable things i would say london is really good for vintage clothing um so there's uh in the west end there's a few places so there's a brand called rocket um they have a couple of places so there's one in covent garden and then i believe there's one oh there's one on brick lane and uh, i think there's one in camden as well um and then also there's a brand called beyond retro and there's one of those in uh, soho which is my favorite vintage shop um which is hard to find but it's you you walk along and there's a door and then you go into a basement because for some reason these places are always really skeezy <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh that's definitely really really interesting um it does take a while to find something that isn't really weird <laughs> but then again I, if you can pull it off then why not <laughs> um and yeah i would say that uh there's also a lot of independent ones uh, in and around soho so that's just a good area to wander around to sort of find things that maybe you wouldn't be able to find elsewhere and they have a lot of uh, small cafes and things there which so you can sort of make an afternoon of it um actually i think one of my favorite coffee places yeah so uh there's a really nice oh the um it's a really nice cafe there uh called princi which is um it's an italian uh it's an italian cafe but it's uh, really modern decor and then uh they have this huge glass counter with pretty much everything that they bake and sell on the day there and uh it's quite interesting because they make the effort to make uh to sort of make very sort of uh, traditional Italian uh, cakes and desserts and things like that and they have like seasonal things so special Italian Easter pastries and things like that um, so that would definitely be good it's good for a date as well but uh, <laughs> that's another story um, so I guess I suppose I, now I can start talking about food I think that there's some really nice ones in uh, some of the museums so um apparently although i've not been yet there's a good one in the british museum uh the uh the cafe in the vna is really nice as well it's in this um it's sort of across a courtyard so you can either sit outside in the summer which is really nice because it's sort of cloistered and they uh, plant it up and there's a big fountain um or in the winter it's in, uh, there's a part of it inside a big um it's sort of i guess a sort of atrium it's this circular room with stained glass windows and sort of uh fancy like a sort of uh fancy ceiling and there's a piano in the middle um so that's definitely really nice um again like pick a quieter day for it um and yeah there's i mean there's there's a lot of um small cafes and re uh, restaurants but in london we have a big problem with chains so a lot of places are just going to be municipal uh, so I'd say that it's more you have to pick the area to find independent coffee shops rather than um, just hope to find them. So generally it's good to go to sort of more up and coming areas. So areas in South London, East London, or even Soho, you can find some independent ones. But if you just go to an average high street, it will be a Starbucks or a Costa or <laughs> something more, more repetitive. Um, and so... Uh, I would say that the thing, like the really cliche thing to do in London is to have like high tea or like afternoon tea, which 
actually is a really nice experience. Like, I hate to say it because it's such a cliche, um, but there's a lot of places that you can get it and uh, you shouldn't expect maybe to have to phone up the day before or something. Uh, But generally, um, it's really nice. You get little finger sandwiches uh, of cucumber and smoked salmon and ham, and then you get sort of scones with jam. And uh, it's basically like, um, it's just the caricature of British afternoon tea. Um, and apparently I, my mum has been, but I never have, to the one at the Ritz. And it sounds like it's uh, going to be like ridiculous and really expensive. But um, it, while, it, while it is expensive, it's not like if you're going to do anything at the Ritz, I'd say you do that because it's like, it's still an experience, but you've not had to spend thousands of pounds doing it. Um, also, there's, uh, I think you can get it at a lot of the uh, botanic gardens. So they did do it at the Chelsea Physic Garden and they do it at Kew. Um, but it's essentially, it's worth asking if you're in a sort of more sedate cafe, whether they do it. It's generally the bigger ones that will, though. Um, you could probably just Google it as well. There's probably hundreds of places that I've forgotten. Um so also things that you should taste in London, I would say that Borough Market is really good. So this is um, instead of an area just south of the river and um, it uh, used to be a really big functioning market and you can still buy produce there, but it's very much now more of a social destination. So they have so many different um, uh, sort of stalls and most of them are there permanently as well which is nice because uh, you can sit they build a rapport with the community and they change and things are dynamic um, and um, <clears throat> the uh, so they have some re- uh, really interesting uh, different things you can try there lots of uh, bakers uh, there's one stand that probably is still there that does like a whole roast pig which is really good um, messy but good <laughs> Um, uh, and generally that's a really nice place to go for lunch because, um, especially if you are in a group of people, they can choose whatever they want and there's sort of social, like social areas you can sit. And, um, it's also quite good in the evening. A lot of, there's a lot of bars and sort of pubs there. So, um, it's not really going out, out, but if you just wanted a couple of drinks and then to head home by about one, then <laughs> it's pretty good. Uh, it's right next to the Shard as well which makes you realize how not tall the shard is by comparison. Like it looks very squat from that angle. Um, And it's also interesting because the location for Bridget Jones's flat is in Borough Market. So I didn't know that until recently and I I had my mind absolutely blown. I was like, oh my God. Um, (laughs) uh, So that's that. If you can spot it, then uh, I'll be impressed though. (laughs) Uh, So that would definitely be one of my recommendations for eating. Um, Brick Lane, again, like I said, was good for eating. Um, but generally, if you want to go to proper sit-down restaurants, there's so much choice um, that it's worth you... Uh, because it's world... Like, there's so many different cuisines represented. Um, it's worth um, using that as your jumping-off point. So say if you're like, I fancy trying Korean food, then you then can look into it from that. So... Uh, a good resource for finding restaurants is Time Out. So they have an app uh, which you can get as well. And that's quite good for sort of narrowing down your choices. Um, generally, most of the sort of uh, more modern or trendy restaurants are in the West End or um, or East sort of Shoreditch. 
Um, so personally, I really like, there's a really nice Korean restaurant called Bao, B-A-O. Um, and uh, there's two of those in the West End. And then um, there's some really interesting uh, Mexican restaurants. Um, and uh, there's a really good Indian restaurant called Dishoom, uh, which I would recommend as well. But generally, it's pretty much whatever you like, you can find. One thing that I would recommend coming from Copenhagen is um, sushi is a lot cheaper in London and a lot more accessible, which is something I didn't realize I would miss as much as I do. Um, but it's definitely uh, a lot easier to get good sushi in London. Um, and a lot of it's takeaway um, and sort of ready there. So the best sushi branch is probably called Wasabi uh, for sort of quick uh, and you can sort of choose which ones you want as well, which is great. So wasabi for sushi is definitely worth it <laughs> um uh, so i mean a restaurant uh there's uh one in how would i describe it? sort of near the bt tower which is this big ugly uh telecommunications tower that is a landmark because we love to make landmarks of really ugly things in london <laughs> um <laughs> uh, but this restaurant is called uh honey and co and it's sort of middle eastern food um and sort of, uh, it's absolutely tiny. There's maybe about, you can seat maybe 25 people. Um, but if you just uh, Google it or, uh, you, and then you can phone them up. Uh, if, you if you phone for sort of lunchtime or something, usually they can fit you in, but it's really nice. They have set menus and stuff and it's very sort of refreshing, sort of, it, interesting food so that would be my one pick if you have to go to one restaurant in london <laughs> and do you have a, a dish that you really like something yeah i think i think it would would be more sort of seasonal things so um uh uh at christmas we have um these things called mince pies which sound horrible um <laughs> but essentially they're sort of these small uh small pastry pies that have uh this thing called mince meat in which isn't meat <laughs> I, it's just so hard to explain because it's uh it used to have meat in when they made it back in sort of the 15th century and they just replaced it with dried fruit so it's dried fruit and um sort of uh candied orange peel and that's all soaked in loads of loads of booze and sort of kept for about half a year and then this is baked in these pastries at Christmas and they're really nice and I really missed those over Christmas here um uh also uh, we just tend to go in for yeah sort of things like that at Christmas and Easter so uh, uh Easter we have hot cross buns where they're just sort of fruited buns that have a cross on to represent Christ's suffering because if anything says that a bun does for some reason um <laughs> Um, but I would say that there's not many quintessential British things that I really, really miss. Um, I mean, there's sort of, uh, like pub food can be nice if you're, um, sort of out of London, a, a nice country pub that you can get, um, you can get some really nice meals. Um, so I think if you go to sort of Henley and stuff, so if you were in, if you were in the area for the boat race, that's quite an experience because they have, it's a really sort of festive thing. Um, uh, but generally, yeah, just like pub, pub food. So like roasts and like, uh, sausages and mash and things like that. Like traditionally British food isn't a health drive. Like you're not going to come away thinner from that. Um, <laughs> if it is, if, if it can be covered in gravy, it will be covered in gravy. That's generally the rule for pubs. Um, 
but um yeah that i guess that would be what i miss <laughs> but i i always tend to focus on sort of the more international stuff because there's just so much choice in london um my mum is from brighton which is a town on the south coast of uh, the uk um and it's maybe a 40 minute train ride from london so if you're in london for a week i'd really recommend going um it's not it's not too expensive a train journey and um it's a really really interesting place because it's a seaside town and it was originally sort of a resort town and so there's all of uh it's all really old sort of victorian architecture and um it uh it basically has this really weird dynamic of being both a resort town and like an infamously uh socially progressive town and so it has a huge gay influence um and so it's this weird marriage of those two things <laughs> um but the shops are really good and it's a really good place for fish and chips so if you're really craving fish and chips and it's an even an okay day like i quite like going in winter when it's a or autumn when it's a bit less full of tourists but it would definitely be a recommendation of mine because it's not a long journey um and yeah you can uh wander around there's like really small lanes there um with lots of small uh shops in and things like that which are a bit more independent compared to a lot of stuff you would find in london um so yeah that would be a fish and chips recommendation <laughs> although i have only had them once <laughs> disclaimer um a place yeah. to go out yeah yeah so um i would recommend this place called coco in camden uh k-o-k-o um and it it is a music venue uh, and it's in an old theater so uh like a really rococo decor sort of lots of gold sort of cherubs and things like that and velvet uh, so they have sort of like uh, there are sort of boxes and stuff and it's quite um steep so there's sort of one layer of people and then another and you're sort of almost on top of each other um facing a stage and um they is really good for gigs um but also it is um they have really good club nights there as well. So there's one called uh, Guilty Pleasures where they essentially just play like stuff that you should be ashamed of really liking, but it's it's bloody great. Um, <laughs> um, and uh, that's really fun. And there's uh, quite a good kebab place directly opposite. So when you come out really drunk, it's perfect. Um, <laughs> also uh, in, the, in the West End underneath Charing Cross, there's a big club called, uh, called Heaven. Uh, which was a really famous club in the 80s. Um, and uh, my, so my parents used to go there, which is super weird. Um, <laughs> and uh, then in, I think, the 80s, it was uh, it was bought out and it was um, it became a gay club. And it's been famous for that ever since. Um, and it's basically directly under Charing Cross. So it's in all of the there's all the ceilings are arched and um it's there's no mobile signal in there <laughs> so you have to go outside to get any kind of contact with the outside world but that's quite nice um and there's so many because of uh the layout of it there's one big room but then there's so many different other ones that you can find so you can go upstairs and there's two different ones and then you go around the corner there's another two um so there's loads of different kinds of music as well uh, so that's really good. Um, so basically the way you find it is if you uh, go to Embankment Station and then when you come out of Embankment Station, there's two ways you can go. You can either go to the river or the other way. So if you go the other way, that road goes up the side of Charing Cross 
so about halfway up there on the left hand side there's um there's the there's a sort of underpass that goes to this club which makes it sound really really dodgy now i think about it um <laughs> but uh you can probably just google maps that i don't know why i thought i'd give you the old school way of finding anything um, <laughs> so those those definitely be my two recommendations for going out um so they're proper like club things uh bars there's plenty of places you can go uh so generally people tend to go to uh so uh the west end there's a lot of nice ones covent garden there's some nice ones um and um yeah generally we drink a lot in britain so it's hard to find somewhere you can't buy a drink <laughs> um and i think that was one thing that i would stress as a tourist like be aware of like how shameless the brits are when we're drunk like <laughs> i think that a lot of places think oh yeah we drink quite a lot but like in britain it's like we drink because we just don't care <laughs> so um there's there's a bit of a culture of binge drinking not as much in london but definitely in sort of some of the northern cities it's very um like you will see people lying in the street on like new year's eve and things like that <laughs> uh which i find like weirdly pride filling but <laughs> uh, other people are like that's not healthy or your country needs to get itself in order uh, so yeah bear in mind that you there will be a lot of loud drunk people in most of the pubs you go to um and if there's any sporting event on then there will be people will be people screaming at the tv um not like sort of occasionally clapping or like <laughs> it's like proper yelling <laughs> um so yeah i would say that bars is plenty of choices um I can't really think of anywhere that. And um, I don't know if you want to share things you love about Copenhagen. Things I love about Copenhagen. Um, I think that just generally, like, it shocks me how beautiful a city it is. So sometimes when I'm cycling back from lectures and it's sunny, I will just sort of stop and go for a walk, like, um, which is something I would rarely do in London. And I think that, I think it's really an, an interesting city because it's not dominated by chains in the way london is so almost every street you're going to find a shop that you want to go in or you sort of are interested in um there's a lot of really good antique shops here which i really like um <laughs> uh but i think just generally like it's it's such a beautiful city and it's a lot more laid back than london um because i, I don't know why i think it's and i think that i really like the cycling culture here as well I think the fact that it's such a sort of accessible thing and it's just expected of people is really healthy. <laughs> um, I've not done much of the touristy stuff though, so. <laughs> uh, yeah, this is one thing I would really like to know from Danes is what they would recommend to do in Copenhagen. Because whenever my friends ask me, um, I just say, yeah, just go for a walk, which sounds like such a boring suggestion. Um, but I, I mean, the few museums I've been to have been really good. So the Design Museum is really cool. Um, and uh, the SMK is really nice as well. So, yeah. Any other tips on that, I would really appreciate. <laughs> This was the third episode of the Tilgen Traveller. I hope you liked it and that you're now ready to book your flight for the British capital. All the places mentioned will be written down in the description. You can also click on the Google Maps link and have access to the interactive map of the podcast. Thank you very much, Max, for having shared so many of your favorite spots. Thank you for listening. 
And don't forget, if you're an exchange student or if you've just traveled somewhere and would like to share your experience, don't hesitate to contact me. Bye bye!